Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Indeed. We are taking on some interesting stuff, looking at some new deals this last week or two. Specifically, we've been looking at a handful of things outside of the US. And it's been interesting to see. We don't really want to talk about live deals that are in flight, but it's been interesting kind of getting a, a crash course in European law, as well as GDPR. GDPR affects everybody, I suppose, on, on the internet, but uh, even more so when you're a European-based company or a company with you know, a lot of your customers in Europe. One thing that we, I think, have been looking at is how do you manage a team if you were to, to have a company based in Europe and, and you're US-based? And one thing we've been looking at is around, okay, do we set up an entity in Europe and, and have employees and try to wrap our heads around a, a law and structure that we aren't probably aren't experts on, right? It's like we've, I've never run a, a European business. I don't, I don't know about you, Colin. I have not. No, like we have always hired people abroad and never thought much about it because you just use Upwork and it's mm -hmm. pretty easy to hire contractors abroad. But when you're hiring full-time people, it's like a whole nother issue. And there's a lot of compliance, a lot of local tax stuff to do. And if you're hiring people across all different countries, it's gets super, super complicated. And so what I heard about this company a while ago, and I never really looked into it that closely, but it's called remote.com. I think it used to be something else. They raised a bunch of money and rebranded, but it basically allows you to hire full-time employees in any country. And they're calling it the first global employee API, which is like a pretty nice branding. The, the way it is structured is they set up local entities in all these countries. So they're not in all countries yet, but they have like plans to expand to all of them. And they technically hire your employees and they deal with all your compliance and tax and any local issues. So they're like a brilliant, like tech enabled solution. And they'll just continue to layer on more and more tech to do this. Yeah. The alternative is, is what we've already gone down this route where you, you have to find an, like a law firm or an attorney in, in that country. But even so, it's still confusing to me. Like there's the EU, which is going to give you some sense of rights, but each country has their own sort of civil code, right? There's so, it just is confusing to me. So I can see why that would be a great service. Sure, you, you, the alternative is you have to set up an entity, I would imagine, and then yeah, have an attorney that administrates this for you. And, and I would assume that's more expensive than remote.com, but maybe not. Do you, do you know what the pricing is or what, how they charge? So they charge like SaaS pricing. It's very much not a SaaS. There's a lot of moving parts behind it, but it says, oh, they just changed it. Now it's first employee free, but it was 300 a month per employee per month. And then I think it, they were like enterprise plans and other things, but it's a uh, pretty interesting and it's, there's a lot of countries they're not in yet. So I, if you're looking at like uh, startup ideas, I think you could do pick a country they're not in yet, like the Maldives or something. Right. And you could become like the best way to hire people in the Maldives. And all you're doing is you're building a relationship with a local law firm and setting up your own legal entity. And then you could, you know, charge 300 a month per employee per month as well. Boom. Free startup idea. Just kind of move yeah. to the Maldives or just find a great lawyer in, in the Maldives. Right. The Maldives. So, yeah, I, I, the countries that we're looking at, I don't think they're in them yet. So we're going to have to go down this like local law firm local entity path until we could move stuff to remote or equivalent. But that is a brilliant solution and it's going to become a much larger issue as everything is moving this remote world. Yeah. I would say that, as you mentioned, through Upwork or I've even hired people, like I had a developer many years ago that was in Japan and we worked on a project for a year together. I mean, he's an American 
actually was a, a guy I went to high school and junior high with, and he ended up moving to Japan. And it was still pretty difficult just to get him paid. Like he, he was lucky because I think he had, no, he didn't even have an American bank account. He had Japanese bank and it was, I'm pretty sure it was all pretty under the table. Like we didn't, um, we didn't really know what to do. I just paid him. And I'm assuming, hey, you're taking care of your taxes. Whatever your tax situation is, you're taking care of it on your end, which is great, again, for these more contract deals. But I think when you have, you're to buy a company in Japan and they've got five, 10 employees, I think moving them all to contractors would be a, an odd move or at least be pretty disruptive. Maybe it's not an odd move. Maybe that's the right move. But yeah, it's interesting business model. As everybody starts to distribute out and remote work is at an all-time high, I would say we're going to see a need for that even more, just making sure things are, are compliant. And the other thing is, how do you deal with dismissing somebody, right? It's like in certain countries, I'd imagine they're more generous to the employer versus the United States or employee, I should say, than the United States. So it's like knowing those rules, knowing, uh, for example, what is the, uh, the Philippines, the, was it 13th month? rule that they have right yeah. around Christmas, you got to pay one extra month of salary. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like a bonus that's expected and maybe actually written into law, it's unless you hire law, yeah. someone like in December and then you don't have to pay it yeah. for like only one month of work. But yeah, I wonder how remote deals with all those like edge cases. They probably just tell you expect an extra 20% or whatever you're actually paying them in salary. Cause you have to pay these other things. Yeah. Not the fun part of, of buying a business. That's I think that, these services to make these back office things go away is in, in charge of premium. I think $300 per employee per month is really expensive. If you think about the actual work that is probably going into it, but from a pain point perspective, if it is technically, I would imagine you're, they're also on, uh, we had a, a PEO with an old, my old agency. We had basically all the employees were technically employees of our PEO, which was, I don't remember what it stands for, but it was, basically a third-party company that was doing all of our payroll and benefits. And so they would protect us from unemployment claims or, or anything that went afoul. So we had zero risk and they took on all the risk, any employee-related claims, including unemployment claims. So it, I wonder if it's similar where it's like, hey, we'll take on the whole burden and we'll make sure that everything's hygienic and, and well-filed. So I don't know. I think $300, as I think through it, I'm sure it's a good price point for, it will just take this off your plate. But over the years, I'm sure that adds up. Oh, yeah. I, it's a great business. It is like high, depending on what country you're hiring in. Like if you're hiring in the Philippines, right. like that's almost doubling their salaries over there. Right. That's insane. But or in Japan or something, it's more expensive. It's not much at all. Yeah, it's interesting. So one other thing I saw this week is, or last couple of weeks, we haven't done this in a while. So sorry about that. I was in Ireland for 10, 11 days with not a lot of podcasting going on, but Pipe is a way to basically sell your uh, SaaS revenue or any kind of subscription revenue. So you can sell your like MRR upfront as like you get the full amount of the ARR minus like 5% or whatever in fees. And it's not invoice factoring. I don't think they have any recourse is basically how it works but they struck a partnership with MicroAcquire. So you can acquire businesses with their own revenue. Oh, I thought wow. this is pretty interesting. Um, I was looking at if you could do it, restrictions are it has to be US-based. So that is a bit of an issue, but you also have to be pretty profitable because you, you're not getting that like monthly recurring revenue anymore to pay your salaries or whatever. So if it's break-even, it doesn't make any sense unless you're very confident you could grow it you know, relatively quickly and outrun your burn. 
Yeah. Um, what is the situation that you wanted? In my mind, the point of acquiring these businesses is the monthly recurring revenue. Is that monthly annuity? Is that like monthly dividend, right? So it's, hey, I'm going to convert a lump sum of cash into, uh, I guess maybe this is more so uh, geared towards founders than, than folks like us, where we're getting into this space intentionally. We're converting a flat lump of capital into something that's going to be this month amount of, of either distribution or, or whatever. So I guess, you know, if you're looking for a payout for just a year of revenue or you're looking, technically it's not a payout, it's a loan. You're getting that money up front, which maybe if you're transitioning into a new business or investing in another line or R&D or something, maybe that's helpful. But I don't see us. So it would let you use less money to buy a business. So less equity. So it's not that different than like another form of seller side financing. It's using sure. the company's revenue to buy the same company, but it only makes sense when it, the company is like pretty profitable. If it's break even, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, which yeah. I'd say most of the things we're looking at are not wildly profitable. It'd be great if they were, but more of them are like closer to break even. doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. And the other thing is what, do we know what the fees are like? It seems like you're getting the, this, at least on the site, it makes it seem like, Hey, it's just a couple percentage points under 10% is what, what I've seen so far. But do you have an idea of, of what they charge? So pipe isn't the one financing these deals They're not holding the loans. So it's technically a marketplace. They call it like NASDAQ or something. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of investors on the other side and the rate that you pay depends on the quality of your revenue. So if your churn's really low, if your and uh, net revenue retention is really high, like your rate would be very low. Uh, so I think it is only like a few percent, but maybe it's up to five percent, something like that. Basically, their whole idea was that you know, SaaS revenue is a pretty amazing asset class, and a lot of investors would be interested in investing in it. And founders shouldn't be selling their equity when they could get their money up front and invest in their own companies with their own revenue. Yeah, that's a great concept. I think that part of it makes a ton of sense, right? It's like you you don't have to give, give up your equity long term. You just need some cash. You need something to, you know, if you're going to acquire a different brand or, or whatever else, that does make a ton of sense. I would argue that the capital markets or the, I should say, the ability to raise money right now is also at an all-time, I don't know, I don't want to say high or low. What am I saying? I'm saying that it's cheap to raise money right now. Money is cheap at this time for people interested, you're giving up equity to that point or potentially this could be a, a nice without, what am I trying to say? Without strings, string-free way to, to get <laughs> a lump of cash for a year. Can you go beyond a year of MRR? I guess it's I a marketplace. You can do whatever you want, huh? I would assume so. Yeah. There's no reason it would be capped at one year. It's also not just SaaS companies. It's like any form of subscription revenue. So you could do Ooh. like a uh, private equity management fees or Substack subscription revenue, stuff like that. So people are doing pretty interesting stuff with the yeah. communities. People have communities, get all that money up front. Yeah. Speaking of communities, how's your, your community? It's good. The course is going well. I just spent money on my first ad. So like the conversion Ooh. rate on the website is like two to 4%, which is really good. Yeah. And like the top of the funnel is just not big enough, I would say. Mm -hmm. But if the conversion rate's that good, you just need more people coming in the top. So I mm -hmm. should be tweeting more. I should be spending on ads. And so that's what I just started doing. So the community, there's some interesting discussions going on of like people in negotiations for business and I'm giving my advice, other people giving their advice, trying to find companies. So it's been really fun. I try to be active in there. I try to check it every day, reply to anything that's going on. But yeah, the course has been really interesting as me getting my learnings more concrete. So I've added probably 10 to 15 uh, segments, lectures, templates 
since launching. So wow. it's cool to just keep adding to this and it's becoming a, like a great source of knowledge, I think, for these people. That's great. Yeah. So check out, what's the, the address to your course? NDPE.com. NDPE.com. That's right. Yeah. Thanks. That'll I appreciate cool. the shout out. Yeah. Get a plug going. It, <laughs> yeah. it is a culmination of a lot of what we talk about and what we're up to. And it's a the general philosophy is like, right. There's rising tide lifts all ships and it's uh, there's enough opportunity out here that people just don't really know about, but yeah, it's a, it's a great space to, to play in and something we want to contribute back to. And I need to make an intro into that uh, community. I keep meaning to, and then I get busy with other stuff. Yeah. No worries. Jump in whenever you like. So oh, other things we want to talk about, we've been playing around with this idea of a Vern agency, and that's a larger question of like, how do you properly capitalize these companies? So like some of them, we buy them, they're making a little bit of money, but like the opportunity is way larger. And I think I see that in Blinksdale a little bit, or in this next one we're working on acquiring and it's, you need some amount of money to close a deal, but then you need more money to actually grow the thing. Have you put any thought into that? Yeah. Part of this has been a lot of, we've been having this conversation and I think we, we recorded an episode almost dedicated to the concept and history of having a, an internal agency that serves portfolio companies. And so I, I have a lot of experience with that, but more so recently, I'm expecting our second child in October. And I work on a, a mix of projects on our portfolio projects, businesses that are outside of Vern businesses that are consultant, you know, based where it's like, I've worked with them for a long time. And so as a software engineer, I give some of my time per week and I'm just trying to figure out how do I get more leverage? And so that's where I restarted this thinking. It's like, Hey, I've got to bring some help on. And so how can I leverage my time? So a, everything can keep moving forward while I'm on some form of paternity leave and B, I we can serve these portfolio companies to to make sure we're hitting these. So with BlinkSale, to give a little background to our listeners, we're doing a lot of the work, right? We're, I shouldn't say we're doing a lot of the work. We're, we've hired a team to rework the product, right? And so we have developers that are helping us out. I'm working on it a fair amount. I've, I've done sort of the redesign and getting my hands dirty on both some of the new features, adding cryptocurrencies, adding ACH payments, and it, but it's like a tidy project. In the future, I think the deals that we're looking at are we're buying teams. Or we're buying a company that has four to five people, maybe even more as a tech team develop, developing the product that would continue. So this is like a weird state. So I don't know if this conversation that we're having is more of a now thing or more of a down the line thing, but there is an element where you build a bench like I'm doing right now, or we find ourselves in this spot where we have five or so engineers or designers, marketers, a, a small bench of folks that work well together we work on internal stuff together, but we also work on external stuff. So they can pay for themselves for internal projects. And, and just, I'm at the stage right now where I think it's just a matter of mapping out the value chain. It's like understanding, okay, this works now because there's enough external work and internal work. And I think that's where I'm, I'm at right now is, is I think that's the main driver is, is controlling demand, which is good for us. We, we can control the demand within the portfolio company, allocate people to projects within the portfolio. But in order for them to this to be cost efficient, you need to have, okay, hey, there's uh, an external client that's going to pay sort of full freight or full fare for your work. And that margin will go towards internal work. So it's a balance. And I know we, we raised a venture fund based on this, what, three years ago. And that pitch re resonated with people. But the reality of it is, in, unless you have 
a glut of demand, both from external and internal sources, it doesn't work. So that's the one thing that I know you have to keep going, but I'm still working through it. Yeah, the obvious one to me is almost everyone in our position has hired some kind of hired or created or acquired some kind of growth agency. And like for all our businesses, we're going to want to invest in writers and like SEO. And yeah, like yeah. most of the companies right now just don't have enough to hire a person full time. So we could, you know, hire these one-off people that are really good, but they're also doing other work or we hire an agency and pay them for that. But yeah, at some point it probably makes sense to just set up our own. And like extra writing time is easy to fill. The companies can just pay these people more money. Always doesn't hurt to have extra blog posts up. I think what's attractive to this is as an investor, the, this isn't, the fees aren't going to keeping these people on board. Ideally, there's a balance where they pay for themselves. They, because there's a balance of internal and external work, that's actually not coming out of, of the fund's fees, which we don't have a fund but we're intending to raise one in the future. And as I think about what's the most capital efficient thing to do, that's a really big aspect. If you can have these value-added services available, they're you know, at cost for internal customers, but then a different rate for external, like that's the model we ran before. And it, it's just a matter of, you got to make sure that there's enough portfolio companies coming in and you have to make sure there's enough external clients coming in and you have to keep a person around to maintain that balance. So it's, it is a little bit like, you need someone doing sales, top of funnel, like finding external projects. And those projects have to be the right size. They can't be too big. They can't be too small. So it, it isn't easy. I'm just going to say that up front. It's like I don't, I've been through this before. So I know um, getting lopsided one way or the other, like you're only doing all internal or all external work, it, it messes it up. It doesn't work. And, but I do think that hard and fast rule that we felt followed in the past does make sense to say, hey, this is not going to be subsidized by the fund in no way do you know should fees be paid from the fund to keep people around and i think the other big learning is doing this based with all contractors which i think has its ups and downs but i think that's one thing we didn't do before we had a, a largely all full-time team and that put an immense amount of pressure on me to keep everybody busy and you know, chasing internal and external works. I'm coming, I'm warming up to the idea. And I think that a lot of our competitors and, and other people in this space do this. But in my mind, it's a bench of contractors, people that can come in for a three to six month project. And then maybe we don't see them for another three to six months. But the downside is they may get busy with other stuff in the future. So to me, you have to build an even bigger bench of those people. Yeah, the contractors seems like it's a short-term solution, right? Because once you have enough demand, then you would be hiring them full-time and you wouldn't be that concerned that you could you know, fill their time. And then it's like the people on the outer ring become the contractors and they could do the flex work as you need more or less, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think where you hire full-timers is not developers or is not writers, is not designers. I, I hate to say it, but I think those roles are largely commoditized. We can find great engineers pretty much anywhere. What I think we need to be focused on is like once... If this agency were to take off and we have enough demand, internal and external, that um, we would want to allocate somebody is almost like a product manager. And this is where I landed before. I'm our, our good friend Josh Parkinson on as a product manager, and he would run these projects because that's the thing that I end up doing and I end up spending a lot of time on is like, 
writing tickets, bringing together like what the business needs, what the designers want to do and what the engineers need to do. Or on the marketing side, that might be more of like a marketing product project manager. So it's more the person that's marshalling the forces, that's creating the project plans. And it's a difficult thing to hire for. You need someone who's semi-technical, who's semi is going to be able to put together a design maybe, or put together a screen or understand user experience or so it's a very multidisciplinary job. It's hard to find for, but that to me is the thing that you invest in are the sort of marshallers, the people who can put a project together and run it. So you need that. So I guess the question is like, what is the ideal CEO for this kind of thing to run this whole thing? And do you think it's more of a project manager than like a sales oriented person? No, I actually, if it's a CEO, it's gotta be sales. That's the one thing I I would say is like, we were to get serious about this and beyond we're going through this exercise for the next couple of months, because I'm going to be out. I'm, I'm going through this, I'm dusting off my old agency hat and trying to figure out like what I need and how I can, can do this. But I forgot that there is a, a profitable aspect to this with the external clients, there's margin. And for every person you add to that project, you're making, you're getting that leverage. So for every hour, there's some markup on each hour. So you're making a small amount of money doing nothing just by having the people in the project and controlling that demand, obviously not gouging them, but you're also responsible for the work. So in my mind, there's a, an amount of margin there that ensuring that the, the project gets done, that it gets run professionally and, and there's something of value being delivered. But going back to what does the CEO look like? I think you need somebody who's going to be able to recruit for those product manager roles, recruit for those project manager roles, keep the leadership or put a leadership team together to run projects and deliver value. But their main focus, if they had to pick one thing, it's making sure that the demand's still there, like the top of funnel is full, that there are people queued up to use the demand once the current project's over and then something queued up past that and something queued up past that. So building a, a strong pipeline of great projects with sane people, right? Because you can find work anywhere. You can find work, but I think it's a matter of the thing I've cultivated over my career is like, I have great projects with great clients, right? They pay on time. They, they respect and listen to our insights and they're easy to work with and we deliver value to them, right? So it's, there is a, a sort of intrinsic value in, in finding good clients that I think is incredibly important if you're going to have an external mix, because you can have bad clients that that blow things up, that destroy morale, that the money is just not worth. That's what the CEO I think would be focused on is like building that pipeline. Yeah. I think the hope would be you hire someone on salary for uh, a couple months, one to two months. And then if they're sales oriented, like hopefully with that couple months of runway and intros from us, like that would be enough to get it going and get it off the ground. And then they'd be on their own to run from there. And we keep sending a business, we keep acquiring companies, but it's, they have to go find outside clients. Got it. Yeah, I, I would say so. It's the, the challenge though, is like they have to find outside clients. They also need to work and identify what are the internal projects. So there needs to be a balance. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to go out and just find a, a you can find a huge project and then have to build a, a team and put that together. And that can be all consuming. And, and then the focus is no longer on the internal portfolio companies. And then you're just, you're bringing in cash, which is great, but that's not tax efficient. That's not like a, that's not a great business that I want to get into. What I want to get into is something that can sustain cheaper work and build that equity value. And that's the hard part. So it's easy to, it's not easy. Nothing's easy in life, but it's easier to go and sell and find an external client that's going to pay you a great 
uh, amount of money for a bunch of work that's difficult, but this is a more a little bit more nuanced. We want you to be delivering portfolio value, value to portfolio companies, delivering equity value, and then also generating cash to pay for the resources. Yeah, it is an interesting balance because how do you incentivize that? You want to incentivize them to be along the same path as you, right? So basically you have to incentivize them with a good amount of equity, but then also responsible for the P&L and like some kind of profit share on the agency side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was my role before. And it's difficult because unless they're incentivized uh, towards the portfolio enough, they're going to they're going to prioritize cash, which I did. I, I didn't have enough equity to just disregard external stuff. It wasn't the right blend. And, and so it was like I was shooting for the way it was structured before was anything over cost. I got to keep a, a, a portion of that. And that was more attractive to me to, to sell external projects. And yeah, that was a, maybe I would say the downfall of the idea. I, I didn't have enough equity in the portfolio or belief that the portfolio companies were going to see it and exit. Yeah. That is another issue as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like, why am I giving up X amount of dollars, potentially up to a hundred thousand or, or some six figure amount? I was like, Hey, I can just go sell external stuff and build those projects. But it became difficult to do because, you know, it's not the right sort of mix. But what I would say is at least in the short term is I'm trying to think about what's the value chain here. To me, it, it's driven a lot by demand. But what could we do internally to, with the portfolio that we are cultivating, to use this agency as a catalyst for, to your point, marketing, SEO, development, everybody could use and a little bit of extra bandwidth. Everybody has a project that they want to get around to, but they haven't yet. And that's where an agency, I think, fills in great. We had a rule with the old agency with internal companies, no projects larger than three months. Nobody should be working with us for longer than three months, which I think is a really good way to cut it off. There should be nothing on your backlog that if you haven't gotten to it yet, and it's more than three months, a six month project, that's an internal project. You guys got to do it that way. And I think that's still a good, I have a lot of good lessons learned here. And I think it's still a good way to, to make it work. So there's no you know, dependency on external services. Or my other one was a, a tier approach where it's like after a certain amount of time, it starts getting more and more expensive because you're leaning on us. And it becomes you know, painful for, to, to the portfolio company. But I, I don't like that one as much as just putting a, a hard stop on, hey, we only do three month and under projects. Yeah, it's interesting. There's so many nuances there. It'll be, uh, we'll have to put this into practice while you're learning from the previous one. Yeah, hopefully it goes better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to say the, 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 other, the other project, it worked out well. The other, it ends up, it's funny, we're now five years later or so, maybe six years since the inception of the, that incubation, studio model incubator. And we've got, it's funny, there's one company that's you know moved on to the next stage and is likely going to see a, a pretty good exit. And it's not at all the one we thought. There were, what, three or four losers that just, you know, <laughs> face planted and there's one that's doing okay. So you get one one big win, one okay, and, and the rest are, are largely, which is so funny because it, there aren't enough. We didn't, we didn't get to 10. We were supposed to, but we didn't get to 10 companies, but five or so we were seeing the exact like, venture sum up where you see, okay, there's one outstanding player. There's one or two kind of okay businesses. And then there's just a bunch of failures. Yeah. It's funny how that power law just always shows up, whether you expect (laughs) it to or not, or plan on it. And it's so hard to guess in the early days. I'm sure you weren't thinking that was the one that was really going to take off and be the big winner. No. In fact, that was the one that the GP wanted to 
to return capital to the investor. Right. Owning the, the company or the GP, but you can probably figure it out if you, you wanted. But that was, there was enough friction between how it was performing and, and between the CEO and the GP or, or the board where there just wasn't a lot of confidence. And thank God, we, we would all say, you just have something stuck in your craw about it. Like, just let it go. And thankfully he did. And because it is, it's doing great now. Yeah. Funny how that stuff works. Just got a, enough shots on goal. One of them maybe works out. I like it. You got any other sports analogies you like to use for this? <laughs> Keep taking <laughs> shots. Skate yeah, where the puck time. is going is the Gretzky one. My other thought on this podcast is we need, I got to start asking people to come on for interviews. Like it's stressful to think week to week, especially as we're not trying to talk about live deals, like what to talk about. So I'm going to start inviting people to come on. I think that'll be more of what I am accustomed to is being an yeah. interviewer, not the, the speaker. Hey, it's always great to bring interesting people on. Having an excuse like a podcast is such a great excuse to be like, hey, I'd love to talk to you. And normally it would be awkward to be like, hey, can I pick your brain? Do you want to grab coffee? And I feel much better about emailing people cold and just saying, hey, we've got, got a podcast. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. So I've been doing interview podcasts for five years now. And yeah. now there's, there was like no competition back in the day. And now there's so much I want to, I don't want to talk about anyone's story. I don't want to hear anyone's story. I want to just jump right into some topic that they haven't really talked about before. Mm. So I, I want our podcast to be very different than everyone else's of what'd you do? How'd you get there? What'd you do next? Mm. So you could go find that out somewhere else. I want to talk about this thing that you're passionate about that doesn't get talked about ever. I so agree. If anyone has any great ideas, I guess we should have on hit us up on Twitter and I'll start reaching out to folks. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm putting some thoughts together. I'm of the mindset to, I'd love to you know start talking more. So to some of the founders that it doesn't have to be people we're talking to, but the folks that have either recently sold their business or thinking of that are in that position just to understand where they're coming from, how they're thinking about their baby as they look to, to exit. Yeah, that was our initial idea with the whole creator stories title. So getting back to our roots of our thinking there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anything else that's kind of all I got? Yeah, no, we're just plugging along, hoping to have some interesting sort of acquisition updates, but we can't really talk about it until it's done. Soon, hopefully soon. Mm. Some of them have been taking too long, but they'll be done soon. Summertime. We're in nature. We are in nature. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for this. It is summer. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. Yeah. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening.